Hello and welcome back to Craftcast, the Freemasons podcast. I'm James. I'm joined by Sean, Stephen. Welcome, guys. Good to be with you all. And you? You too. Eventually, Stephen. Mm. Mm. Please don't. What happens, Stephen? <clears throat> I prefer not to talk about. Were it. you Were you travelling in from Gibraltar? Uh, I'll go with yes on this occasion. So okay. <laughs> So for those of you listening who's wondering what we're talking about, Stephen sat down in the chair as the introductory music was playing. So perfect timing, Stephen. Please don't. My dad will kill me. Chris, <laughs> Stephen Watley Sr., shout out. Uh, you Chris Moyles did. Chris yeah. Moyles famously, famously turning up for radio. I got radio a message, from, I got a message from, from James saying, are you going to Chris Moyles it? I, I would wish, I, I'm going to say that I'm too young to know. Oh, oh, here we go again. What? <laughs> You're too young to know who Chris Moyles is. Yeah. Nonsense. This needs to go in the diary of a student episode. The The fact that his timekeeping is absolutely appalling. Yeah. Do you have the same approach to turning up to sort of lectures and seminars? Uh, no, I'm always on time, obviously. Interesting. Most For the studies. ones he attends. Yeah. Good to know where your priorities <laughs> lie, Stephen. James, what are we going to be talking about in today's episode? We've got a really special guest on today, Sean. So we've got Ian Chandler, who is the Provincial Grandmaster for the province of Surrey. Mm. And for our non-Masonic listeners out there, the Provincial Grandmaster is the head of Freemasonry in that part of the country. So they're the figurehead for all of the lodges that meet in that particular province. So in this case, Ian is the head of Freemasonry for all lodges and incidentally also Royal Arch Chapters. Mm that meet in the province of Surrey, which is quite a big province. So I'm excited to be talking to him about what that job involves, what he does, how do you become a provincial grandmaster, all of those stuff. And a for, for again, for listeners that aren't aware, uh, in the Royal Arch, if you are the head of a province, you are known as a grand superintendent. And you'd sometimes find in some provinces and districts, you'll have a provincial grandmaster who is also the grand superintendent and in other cases you'll have them where it's two separate people just a heads up for listeners that weren't aware yeah we have that in warwickshire actually because um it, it used to be separate but our, our current provincial grand master is also the grand superintendent and was the grand superintendent right. before he became provincial ah. grand master um quite an appropriate title as well grand superintendent for ian as we'll find out later absolutely. in the show absolutely in uh, in gibraltar we have a, a dgm who is DGM of uh, the craft. He's also Grand Superintendent, but he's also the DGM of the Mark. And when you say DGM? District Grandmaster, sorry. Because you are a district, not a province. Because yeah. we're cool Thanks like that. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Right, should we get on with it? Let's get on with it, yeah. So, Ian, welcome to Craftcast. Can we start by asking you, how did you become a Freemason? Um. I became uh, a mason through my primary hobby, which I'm always at pains to point out, which is fishing. Um, <laughs> um, and I got chatting to my local fishing shop owner, my fishing tackle shop owner, uh, Bob, and um, I got to know him quite well. I was one of the main investors, shall we put it that way. <laughs> and um, yeah, he, he was a mason. I got chatting to him in the tackle shop and uh, he's a, his buddy, Alan, who, who's still a member, um, invited me to join and I joined through fishing really and uh yeah it was uh it was a great experience back in 1999 so it wasn't a terribly long time ago um but I I, I know on your list of questions it says do I remember it well yeah I remember it like it was yesterday <laughs> I and mean, we all do don't we yes. I, I I um 
I didn't really have a clue what I, what I was letting myself in for, if I'm honest, in those days. They, Bob was a very traditional guy, and he... Didn't tell you anything. D- absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. oh. And I found out afterwards why. He really didn't know a lot. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I mean, he, no, seriously, he didn't know a lot about Freemasonry. About the, and I was quite inquisitive, because when I... I remember my initiation. I, there were lots of questions that came to me immediately. And I, the, the first thing I must say is that the, the ceremony itself absolutely spoke to me. And I was hooked straight away, no pun intended. I was, <laughs> I was absolutely hooked. And it, I, I loved every moment of it. It was very impressive. I was really impressed by the guys. You know, I knew lots of them by that stage. Mm. It's always nice, I think, when you know people in the lodge that are doing doing a ceremony for you. Very much so. And, and Bob um, was, was mildly dyslexic and had put himself out to initiate me. You know, and it was quite clear that he'd put in a massive yeah. effort to do that. Mm. And it was hugely impressive. Um, so, yeah, I was I was a very enthusiastic young member. But I will say this as well. I was the young member. Right. I was the young guy in an old lodge, mm. and that had its did have some challenges for me, um, and so that's helped me, I think, in the role I now have because you know we've got lots of guys who are out there find themselves in a similar situation, and we need to support them, don't we? I have to say as well that uh, when you said you were initiated in 1999, Mr. Watley across from me there gave me a wry smile because just to remind us, Stephen, what year were you born? Uh, 1999. Goodness <laughs> me, dear, Ian. Absolute <laughs> child. Sorry, Ian. Oh, um, In fact, he, it was, I was born in November, so you were probably initiated before <laughs> before I was born. Um, yeah, March 99. <laughs> there, there you go. go. There yeah. you go. Absolute child. Mind you, I remember well when I, I, I was in the police service, we may touch upon that later, that, mm. you know, I used to go and talk to young detectives and people when they joined, and very often the whole of the audience... <laughs> were born after I joined the police. You know, that was always a horrible moment. But anyway. <laughs> Apologies for making you relive that. And, and Ian, you gave reference a moment ago to the role that you now have as a provincial grandmaster. For the curious listeners out there, how do you become a provincial grandmaster? Because as we said with the programme master, we assume that you don't just get a letter on the doormat saying, we'd like you to be a PGM. There must be some background conversation and discussions that go on first. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it, it, it's the deputy grandmaster's responsibility to report to the grandmaster, and indeed the grandmaster's council have the responsibility to, to advise the grandmaster on appo- on senior appointments, including provincial grandmaster. That's the formal process. Of course, the informal process is that um, it depends. It, it, it depends which province and what the circumstances are. Um, sometimes it, it's pretty clear and obvious. There's a, there's a, a a man who's ready to go as the deputy and probably quite well known here, whereas on other occasions in, in a province they, they may not know the, the team quite so well um, and they'd come and talk to a few people. But there are informal chats that go on uh, and of course then uh, the deputy grandmaster will, will talk to you specifically about the role. And, and of course you've got to be able to give the time commitment because it's not a part-time role really. Mm. Um, certainly in the larger provinces, like my own, uh, I, I, I don't think there are many of my colleagues that are in full-time employment there are some um but yeah it's pretty full-on so you've got to give the time commitment and yeah you've got to understand what the role is and what you're gonna what you're gonna bring to it really how how many lodges do you have and how many members in your province so i've got a large a a large number of units bearing on a grand superintendent as well so i've got 240 odd lodges and just over 100 royal arts chapters so you know i've got the thick end of 350 units in my province, I've got 5,000 members. Uh, so we've got rather too many lodges, but again, that's very 
of a similar experience across the country. Mm. And is there a, a sort of uh, a specific set amount of time that, that you think uh, needs to sort of gone by from being initiated to becoming provincial grandmaster? Is there a sort of set level of experience that must be met? Um, no, is the answer. I, I, I've always been of the view in in life and in Freemasonry, if you're if you're good enough, you're old enough. It's the Rooney factor, isn't it? As they used to, you know, when he was first picked for the England team, they'd oh, he's far too young. Yeah. yeah, with the fact that he was the best footballer in Europe at the time. That's what yeah. it's all about. If you if can you, do the job, then why absolutely. Not? Yeah. And it's down to it's down to skills and experience, whether that be from your working life or in Freemasonry. Uh, uh, most of my colleagues and me included have been involved in in provincial affairs in some form or another on their journey. Um, you know, I came up through the charity route. I was I, you know, and this was another lesson I learned very early on. I was working on provincial committees when I was a master mason, and it's very it's not unusual today to see that, is it? Whereas uh, certainly, you know, not so long ago that would be unheard of. It was in you know, goodness me, a master mason on a provincial committee. Yeah. Um, you know, it, we, we see at Grand Lodge in, and out in provinces that there are lots of really keen and enthusiastic young guys who want to get involved. They've got something to offer and, and, and do a really great job. So, Ian, in terms of your role as French Grandmaster of Surrey, I guess in your professional life you would have had a lot of experience working within that that area within Surrey because you were you were a police officer in Surrey weren't you I was yeah so so how important do you think that knowledge is of a particular area for you to be a successful PGM there's a really great question actually because it's absolutely vital to understand your province and understand mm. your members because my my province is a is a good example of this where I've got lodges and units that meet in what is really a rural area mm. whereas I've got other centres and units that are predominantly a metropolitan area and so they're completely different and you know I'm going to Farnham this evening and Farnham the feel of Farnham even the, even the ceremonies at Farnham are quite different it's it's almost a southwest sort of feel right whereas at Croydon and Surbiton it's a very much a, quite similar to a metropolitan London feel so you've got to understand the dynamics of your province and the particular challenges of each area um, you know, every centre is there. I am. I my province is dominated by centres as opposed to units that sort of meet in, you know, hotels and inns and little halls. Um, so again, it's you must understand the dynamic of your province to to have uh, to be able to lead appropriately. You you were talking earlier about getting into Freemasonry through your your hobby of, of fishing. Um, as provincial grand master, presumably there's an expectation for you to get out there and, and visit all the corners of your province. Does that ever then become more of a job would you say than a hobby as it is for many members how do you square that circle again really great question because there's a there's a balance to be struck um this is a hobby for me but I, it's a hobby i take very seriously <laughs> sean mm. knows that i've mm. worked with sean a lot over the years so you've got to you've got to find that balance that's right for you because if it's if it becomes anything near a job then it's not enjoyable and people can tell and one of the roles of a provincial grandmaster is to make sure that people see that you're having fun and enjoyment because they feed from that and um, if they see that you're struggling a little bit they know mm. and uh, it's so important that you get the balance right so you know my members and people think oh you're out every night I simply am not out every night mm. um, I try and get the balance this week has been a particularly busy week the week before I didn't go out at all in the evening uh, and next week I got a fairly quiet uh, meetings, Masonic meetings week, but it's the other things that come with it, of course. 
you know, I'm sat here with you today in London. We're doing a podcast. I'm off to Farnham tonight. Mm. And I've been, uh, as Sean knows, this is my third trip into London this week. Um, so there's lots of other things that come with being a provincial grandmaster, not just meetings. The meeting element, of course, is the most enjoyable part. I think probably quite like quite a lot of things in life, if you don't get that balance right and you do too much of all of it, everything's going to suffer, including the Freemasonry. If you, if you just did that and, and sort of it became too much, I imagine that would be... Absolutely. And uh, I think I'm quite good at that. I think my professional life helped me with that as well. You know, managing what's really, really important versus nice to be done. And I I seem to be able to manage my time and and balance my life. My wife's retired now as well. So, you know, I, I want to spend some time with my wife and I'm supposed to be retired. I don't know if I ever really have. <laughs> but um yeah, it's it's, it's important you, you maintain about it. Hence the fishing, hence my gardening, my allotment, which I'm well known for in Surrey because I write it's the first thing I write about in my column in the Surrey Mason magazine every time. <laughs> and it's what people talk to me most about, ironically. They always come up to me and ask me about the garden and allotment and the fishing. You know, I'd love to just talk for a moment about kind of what goes on behind the scenes in a provincial team and in a provincial office, if we can, because I think a lot of members out there will see a provincial grandmaster in their dress regalia, in a tailcoat, big formal occasions, provincial grand lodge, installations, etc. But presumably that's not all of your role. It's only a small part of it. So what goes on behind the scenes when you're kind of in an administration role, you're in the provincial office, what does your day look like? Well, the first thing to say is... um you know, and going on from your question about me going out, it's a team game. Um, all provinces have, uh, well, it depends on the size, of course, but you, they typically, at the very least, would have a deputy provincial grandmaster, a, grand, a provincial grand secretary and a treasurer, and some staff, uh, you know, that support and administer. So, it, you know, I I lead that. In, in Surrey, I've got a large team. I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate in that respect. So, yeah, of course, I, I have to chair the executive meetings, um, of the craft and the Royal Arch and I get involved to a fair level of detail but I do rely on my deputies and the Provincial Grand Secretary stroke Provincial Grand Scribe and in Surrey the administration of the two uh, orders is in one which makes my life very much easier so I, I you know it is a very much a team gain and that's why it's very important that I pay close attention when I appoint new people into the team because building a team I rely on them, um, you know, and it's not, they're not all folks made in my image. I try and pick people with different qualities, with different skills, from different backgrounds. Uh, we always get to a better place when you've got different views contributing to, to uh, you know, particularly the governance of a, of a province. That's really interesting. And, and I, I guess something else that you've, you've touched on, Ian, uh, already is your past career as a police officer. How much did your experiences serving in the police force prepare you for life as a provincial grandmaster, having to, I imagine, deal with some quite difficult situations in both? And difficult people. And difficult people, maybe <laughs> well, for different reasons. I, I don't think I've dealt with any difficult people to the extent of my police career in <laughs> Freemasonry. Um, yeah, it, it's prepared me, it's been a huge help, actually, because, um, I mean, it's simple things. You know, being, being a leader and a manager, chairing meetings being able to deal with the administration of large numbers of people as well. I mean, communication mm. with large groups of people. You know, I, I had, at one time, I, I had a command which had uh, nearly, well, there was 1,200 people direct reports through me. So, you know, I've, you've got to speak to 1,200 people, and in the force are over 4,000. So it's very similar to a provincial size. Um, and, you you know, you've got to communicate. And I, I, people 
think about the police service as you know a cop walking down the street in uniform or a CID officer. But it's it's so diverse. In my career, I spent time. Uh, I did a crazy two years after I actually retired as a cop as the head of IT for Surrey Police. I was the head of corporate comms, um, and I involved myself in all sorts of different aspects of policing. And so it did. It has prepared me for a, a very wide range of sort of things I could do in the future. So yeah, there are lots of parallels actually. Um, I think partnership working is another example you know not just within the police service but outside of course the police service relies on partners as well so mm. you know there's lots of parallels mm. i think you briefly touched on uh, touched on that there when you say about partnership in, in terms of the social side of those social skills that you'd have learned in, in the police force and also earlier you said about a lot of people coming up to you and asking about fishing and and, and your gardening etc do you think that plays an in, sort of an integral role in your ability to manage that large amount of people and communicate properly that sort of personal side and i know i mean the program master briefly spoke about it when he was here um before that that has changed somewhat that i think in you know maybe when you were initiated you weren't able to walk up to the pgm and, and talk to him about fishing or his interests do, how do you think that change has been important and helpful for you managing that amount of people and, and helping your province Absolutely. It was a complete step change when I became Provincial Grandmaster. Um, and that's no criticism of anybody who went before, because it mm. wasn't there seen as their job. Um, but today, you know, we have to be able to communicate on every level. I recognise that, you know, some people want to talk to you. Some people want to read about things or listen to podcasts. So, you know, they, mm. there's, every folk's got a different way of consuming information that they're interested in. And, and we can't shut off the people who want to actually just chat to you. And, and, and they want to hear from you. So I think it's absolutely vital to make yourself available. Um, you know, going back to your point about going out every night, I can't go to every lodge and chapter in, in my province. I just can't. But what I can do is go to every area of my province across the year and make sure I cover myself across the province. And that's how I build my diary, to make sure I've got every area covered. Um, and I, I we, we try and let people know that I'm going to be in certain places at certain times. So I encourage people to come along and meet me and have a chat if they if they want to. And Ian, one of the other feathers in your cap, so to speak, is that you are also on the board of general purposes. How important do you think it is having your experience as PGM in that additional role on the board? Um, well, it is. It's vital, and that's my that is my place on the board because the board. Are, it's a requirement in the Book of Constitutions that at least two members of the board are provincial grandmasters. Mm. Um, so for very good reason, because that is the interface between provinces and, and how we govern ourselves. Keeps them in, in touch, for, for want of a better phrase. Well, it does. Mm, and yeah. their decisions, you know, that are made here, of course, impact upon mm. all of us. Uh, and I wouldn't say we represent our colleagues, but not far off. Uh, you know, we are the voice that speaks on behalf of uh, provinces. But I think, again, that has changed. I think the board and rulers in general are very alive to the impact of what happens here upon what happens in Freemasonry. I mean, Jonathan's been in and spoken about the strategy. You know, there's a great deal of thought given now today about how we ensure that we, we're moving in the right direction and how we support what goes on out in provinces because if we, you know, we've got to work together on this sort of stuff. Mm. And actually, you touched on the strategy there. Obviously, you, you're on the strategy group, aren't you, Ian? How... I mean, this is two years' worth of work that we're coming to this sort of culmination of, although it's not the end, it's an ongoing process, as Programme Master has told us. Can you sort of give us, without giving too much away, 
Um, can you sort of give us an, an indication of the sort of work that that group has been focused on over the last two years? Yeah, I think really it was in two parts. The, the first part, and Jonathan was quite right with this, we have, before we launched into writing strategies and so forth, we had to agree actually who we are. Because, I mean, th- there were lots of words written over the years about who we are, what we are, what our mm. purpose is. Mm. But it, uh, I don't know that it was that clear. And, and secondly, I don't know that it was accessible to non-members because it was, it was certainly in language that was, you know, for example, brotherly love, relief and truth yeah. is a good example. It all means something to us, but it doesn't really mean a lot to uh, someone who's not a member. Until you're there and you've been through it and Indeed. you understand Indeed. a lot more about it. So, you know, there were lots of things like that that needed to be an easily under, understandable uh, sort of bite-sized chunks and you know our purpose and who we are as you now see on the website and elsewhere that took a lot of work to get to where it is today and it was vital we did that first at my at my university lodge of staffordshire when we when we bring in uh, sort of new interested interested people from the universities we hold a, an, an interest evening where we sit them down and sort of ask them what is freemasonry they all get a, a pen and, and a whiteboard and they and they sort of come up with a sentence pretty much about what they think from an outside perspective freemasonry is is that something obviously not from an outside perspective that that you guys have worked on in terms of coming up with exactly who we are do you have a a sentence or a or a document that says this is who we are or is this more of a general under like is this a finite thing or is this more of a general understanding that you tried to to sort of perceive for for us well you you need to be able to stand in front of the world's press and tell them who we are Mm. so we have actually got it documented it's on the website you know, a unique members organisation. You start there. We are absolutely unique. We've thrived for over 300 years. You know, when you start to break this sort of down, it's helpful to be able to repeat and recite those sort of facts and elements because mm-hmm. as I have done over the years, one thing I have got, you know, preparing through work and so forth, I did used to speak to the press quite a lot. Um, not in quite the circumstances <laughs> that perhaps I now do in Freemasonry. Um, but, uh, yeah, you need to be able to clearly articulate in a very short space of time what we're all about and the essence of what we're all about and that's why that work was was so important an elevator pitch it's, yeah. it has to be an mm-hmm. elevator there's more to do and and uh, as some know I'm, I'm going to be working on a bit more of that you know why would you want to be a freemason why would you want to stay as a freemason we need to start to think in those terms as well mm. um but the, the, one thing i will say about this is and and my experience there's something for everybody isn't there you know, it's not one thing, mm. Freemasonry. You know, we, we're all attracted for different reasons. There are treasurers, there are secretaries, there are directors of the ceremonies, etc., etc., etc. They're all attracted and find their little niche in a different place. Podcast so, hosts, yeah. Well, podcast <laughs> hosts, absolutely. Bottom of the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm making no comment at all. We'll wait, we'll wait till we review the end product. Oh, absolutely. But obviously, two years ago, and I mean, it seems like a different world but i believe the strategy group first met was it may 2020 which is pretty much the eye of the storm in some ways in terms of covid how much do you think the pandemic i know we don't really like to talk about it now really as a society do it's like we just ignore that it ever happened um but how much what happened did, sorry yeah, exactly <laughs> how much did that impact the work of the group did it slow things down and how much i guess was it saved by zoom and and other platforms that are available um i don't think it slowed it down um, I don't think Zoom saved it. Oh, <laughs> there's there's a whole other discussion point. Yes. Isn't it? I mean, yeah. new podcast episode. <laughs> well, that's true, isn't yeah. it? I mean, the, the, you know the the benefits and 
the balancing of meeting face to face versus Zoom. I mean, it's, I don't know about you. I get very weary on Zoom nowadays, but yeah, it's a, it, we have to do it, don't we? Um, and it does make it easier to meet and discuss things. Um, but I think I think what happened with the pandemic was it's made us think about we had to communicate in a different way. And the, actually, I don't know if, if members realise this, but what happened as a result of the pandemic was was the first time that the United Grand Lodge of England directly communicated with its members through the first rising. Mm. And it was driven by the pandemic and it was driven out of necessity. But of course, it was the one of the best things from a comms perspective we've done in a long time. And I hope members feel that they are now in touch with Grand Lodge and they hear directly from the centre. And uh, you know, this is another great example of it because um, it is so important. Now, I, I'm, I've been at pains in, in Surrey to remind members they are part of something bigger and they are part and members of Grand Lodge. Um, so the pandemic did change out of necessity. It changed things. But it's been there's been great benefit from it, no doubt. Is that something sort of traditionally that you think, I mean, obviously, another hat that you wear, Chairman of the Communications and Marketing Working Party uh, of the board, is that something we do need to get even better at still? So, I mean, the number of times we, I'm sure we've all been to lodge meetings, and I think to a lot of people... Names like the Programme Master, you know, the Rulers, Grand Officers, are often just people that they toast to. Do you think there's still a lot of work for us to do in terms of bridging that gap between UGLE, often seen as being in our sort of ivory tower, and your sort of standard Freemasons out in the provinces and districts? Yeah, I, I think um, you know, there has to be a, a face to the name. It, mm. it, let's be realistic about that. You know, Jonathan and the, and the rest of the Rulers, they, they're not going to get out around the country and... No be seen by everybody but th- there are ways of doing it and this is one of them mm. and there are all sorts of things that we've done with, with Jonathan and others um, you know an FMT and First Rising and all there are all sorts of channels that we use to, to stay in contact with our members mm. the only the, the, there is again a balance to be struck is we, we all know we're very keen communicators in this room yep. um, but you can overdo it can't you absolutely you and can, you, yeah. again it's another one where you've got to get the balance right you've got to provide the right quality with the right sort of frequency and uh you know, we've, we've only just been discussing that in the last couple of days about what that is. Mm. Ian, sadly, we're, we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to close by asking you, what would your hopes be for Freemasonry in the next, say, seven years? I, I want to see more of the same. I, I think um, I, I want to see Freemasonry flourish. Um, it's th- thriving is, is, is the right expression. And I want to see us hand over to the new generation and you know you guys are the new generation i i i think we should invest in these in in you guys that are coming in i think um you'll see over the next few years that we will see an uplift in our membership and um you know i look forward to the day when i can sort of sit back a little bit and not be on all of these working parties go fishing a little bit more in the in the knowledge that it's safe in the hands of the next generation and um and be very proud that we were able to yeah lay the foundations and the platform for for the new guys to come in and make it the great institution it needs to be in terms of you know being a thriving membership and and lifting ourselves up a little bit with our numbers that that would be fantastic right ian has come to uh, that moment of the podcast where we ask you some quick fire questions just to get to the bottom of who exactly ian chandler is so i'm going to kick us off your favorite sports team or england cricket test side england test side Favourite holiday destination? The Bahamas, the Abacos. Favourite drink? Easy. Real <laughs> ale, I love a beer festival. Favourite meal? 
seafood of any type. Fishing or gardening? Fishing. Um, unfortunately, it's 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 an addiction. Childhood hero. Ian Botham. Ian Chandler, Provincial Grandmaster for Surrey. Thank you so much for joining us on Craftcast. It's a pleasure. Well, I think we can all agree that was fascinating. What do you think, gents? Loved it. Yeah, most definitely. Very interesting. Well, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, you can listen to all uh, current episodes of Craftcast across all major podcasting platforms. Make sure that you check us out on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, whichever provider you use, you will be able to find Craftcast. Failing that, you can drop us an email at podcasts at ugle.org.uk. Tweet us ugle underscore grand lodge message us on facebook at the united grand lodge of england or on instagram on the same handle and we will see you again very soon for another installment of craftcast goodbye everybody goodbye craftcast the freemasons podcast the podcast is hosted by sean butler stephen Watley, and james dalton the producer is marta zandry and the podcast is edited by trisonic (laughs) 